Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Today it is the unborn child. Tomorrow it is likely to be the elderly or those who are incurably ill. Who knows but that a little later it might be anyone who has political and moral views that do not fit into the new distorted order. Dr. Mildred Jefferson said that decades ago. We have been living in just a little bit later for some time. You see, those who murder the unborn will not hesitate to murder the born. And those who murder the unborn actually cannot be trusted to govern the born. And those who call the dismemberment, disembowelment, and dissection of 65 million children in their mother's wombs over the last 50 years health care can certainly be trusted to get everything else wrong. That was our guest for today. We're excited to have Seth Gruber back with us, Unaborted and Unashamed. Unaborted is the name of his podcast, and that was a clip from a recent one. Before we get to Seth, some headlines we're going to tackle in the second half of the podcast today. The third biggest egg farm in the U.S. catches fire. 21 fire departments respond to the huge blaze in Connecticut at uh, Hillendale Farms. Also, we're going to talk about human microchip implants uh, taking center stage all of a sudden. And another article, Worldwide Phenomenon of Sudden Deaths, the Level of Denial and Deception is Mind-Boggling. But one we're going to cover with Seth, pro-life dad acquitted. This is breaking news about Mark Houck. Federal jury rejects government intimidation against pro-life people. Seth Gruber is a professional public speaker focused on equipping Christians and pro-life advocates. He's the son of a Pregnancy Resource Center director. Seth was raised in the pro-life movement and has been speaking publicly on behalf of the unborn. He travels and speaks in Christian schools, churches, pro-life training seminars, Pregnancy Resource Center banquets, engages in academic debate, blogs, and writes as a cultural and political commentator. Seth Gruber, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, David. Good to be with you again. Hey, well, let's start with you recently. Let's just catch up on your life. You recently moved to uh, Kansas. Are you unpacked yet? Uh, eh, sort of. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're you know your money goes a lot farther here, so we got a we got a big house that would have been a you know a piece of dump in Southern California. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a, it's here's the thing. It's it's a it's a new. Uh, sort of segment um, or aspect of the culture war, and we all kind of sense it. Mm-hmm. Um, we all kind of sense that, you know, this is kind of the final fight um, for mm-hmm. freedom and liberty. And so I enjoyed being behind enemy lines in California um, to publicly mock the spirit of Baal and poke demons in the eye. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is a slower life for my family because who knows what the next 20 years of this culture war looks like. I mean, compare the year 2003, David, to, oh my goodness. to today. Yeah. Uh, if I had told you what uh, happened in the last two years was going to happen in 2003, you would have laughed me out of any church in this country. Yeah. Um, and yet yeah. here we are, and uh, and things are only heating up. Yes, they are. And I moved. That was the year, 2003. I moved from Southern California to the Midwest 
and um, man, I lived out there for 17 years, so I know it's it's a, and I'm sure it's gotten even more um, divisive, even more. I mean, one thing you said, and I think it's one of your podcasts. In fact, I watched a video of you. You're out there talking. I think you were at in D.C. And man, do you know how to provoke the demons and some of these pro-choicers? Tell us a little bit about some of the the, the difference in the the sentiment today. It used to be they could just just agree to disagree, have a little heated debate, but then move on. But now they are getting pretty vicious. Tell us about some of your recent experiences. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, secular progressivism really does rot the brain, doesn't it, David? Um, it debases people to their yeah. most sort of animalistic mm-hmm. appetites and desires, right? That's why C.S. Lewis said the head rules the belly through the chest, so the abolition of man is men without chest because the head rules the belly with nothing to temper it in between. In other words, you're just an animal with a little bit of intellect to justify your immoral decisions. And so humanism really does rot the brain. Um, and so that's been true for a long time. But um, these you know, you should never mistake in stupidity um, for for lack of conviction. Um, these these mm. are true zealots, yep. and their ideas might be stupid, and I might be able to invert those ideas and make them a, a laughing stock of uh, of any university uh, in in about a minute. But but don't mistake in the the moral bankruptness of the ideas mm-hmm. for um, the uh, stupidity. Or, or rather, the uh, lack of conviction of the person. I mean, some of the most dumb ideas in human history have been fought for with more um, zeal than most Christians will defend their religion in the public square. Hmm. Um, and Truth. so, I, I think with Roe v. Wade getting overturned, um, the left is kind of like a wounded animal, it's kind of a dog running away with the tail between its legs. Um, but a wounded animal is more dangerous um, yes. when it nears its end. <clears throat> and so, I think these people, I don't think they're joking when they call pro-lifers domestic terrorists and they quote the greatest and most extreme threat to freedom and democracy to quote the president of the United States and yes. press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, that th- this is intentional language. It's yeah. being used to accomplish a political goal, which is to make the discrimination um, against political opponents not just socially acceptable, but uh, make it so that it's being cried for by the broader public. Mm. Um and, uh, you know, just read 1984, read uh, the Gulag Archipelago, you know, read, uh, you know, <laughs> read your history and learn that we're, we're, none of this is new. Um, and if people don't wake up soon, uh, it really will be too late. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wow. Just listening to your podcast from the 26th was great. You also said ideology is a drug. Um, in that it destroys brain cells, apparently. It's, that certainly is part of the situation. But I was listening to that podcast, and you were talking about um, some of the uh, abortion proponents uh, saying the quiet part out loud. I thought that was interesting in light of the fact that we have people like Klaus Schwab and Harari uh, talking about their goals through the WEF and Correct. saying a lot of quiet parts out loud. Yes. And, and I was really fascinated by your list here, and I think this is a great resource for people who want to talk to people or attempt to reason with people in the culture of death. You talked about a 1963 Plant Parenthood pamphlet, and I was most interested in Dr. Frederick Robbins. He was a population Mm -hmm. control guru, and he says, we need to kill babies so that the born people don't die. 
So we, you know, this is how we're going to control the population to keep, to make sure that if you're already here, you can stay here, but nobody gets added to the role here. Uh, he says the dangers of overpopulation are so great we have to kill women with birth control. So if, if it is a drug, I mean, this certainly explains the, the, ah, oh boy. Can you talk a little bit more about that, uh, Seth, about the quiet part out loud? Yeah, well, I mean, here, you know, here's the thing. Many of the pontiffs of progressivism who have been behind this uh, political project of Marxism for the last couple hundred years, um, <laughs> they're very smart people. Yeah. Um, and, and they, they know, um, when you get down to brass tacks, they know that the unborn child is a human being. Mm-hmm. They know, let's see, let's apply it to another topic. They know that communism, um, never does good for the people. They know that it's a utopian pipe dream used to um, to lead people into a political trance so they'll give you their rights so that you can um, uh, you can enrich yourself beyond their wildest daydreams and never give power back. They know that uh, chopping off your genitalia and taking skin from your arm to create an artificial uh, genitalia to make your body feel like the other gender. So the outside, the outside matches the inside. They know that none of that is helpful to people. They know the studies that we cite about how over 95% of people, if not exposed to social affirmation and surgical intervention, will experience natural resolution um, of their gender dysphoria. But what's my point? They know, all of these people know, Mm -hmm. that that the lies they're propagating and pushing are indeed that, lies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But they don't care. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, I think it was Chesterton who said, that um, our modern world is the result of all the Christian virtues gone mad because they've been isolated from one another. Um, and that, that goes hand in hand with this idea of how ideology um, rots the brain. Ideology is a hell of a drug that will take you further than you wanted to go and make you pay more than you wanted to pay. Mm. Because tolerance separated from, I don't know, truth is not a good thing. Uh, compassion separated from truth is not a good thing. Um, and, and so when you, when you separate the Christian virtues from one another, um, everything goes mad. Um, and then you can justify virtually anything you want if you're just focusing on one of the Christian virtues. Mm-hmm. This is why abortion is defended as a compassionate choice for women. But compassion separated from truth is a dangerous thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what these people do, and, and they justify their behaviors um, under with the sort of the veneer of Christianese and Christian compassion. But at the end of the day, the, the pontiffs, the, uh, the, you know, the, the high priests of secular humanism, of which Dr. Fauci sat on the throne for about a year and a half, um, th- they know that their ideas are very dumb and can be defeated in, in any kind of public argument, which is why Fauci and others, and Francis Collins and others, Dr. Rucker, Robert Malone or, or Peter McCullough or others, because they, they can't, they can't contend in that way. And I'm seeing that from the pro-abortion leaders as well today. So, that, I mean, that's a long-winded answer to your question. We could talk about, you know, uh, some of some of these people if you'd like. We probably don't have time. But the point is, that once you start studying, you start realizing, oh, wow, um, the, the leaders of the culture of death, they, 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 they openly admit that the unborn child is a human being, mm-hmm. that contraception and birth control has actually been really damaging to women's bodies. But but it was justified because it was a way to titillate the masses and to get them to engage in, se- in unbridled sexual activity. And if you're one of the more kooky 
uh, humanist leaders. It's actually it's actually used to decrease the world population because you think Whitzilopochtli, the Aztec sun god, is really angry at you for harming Mother Gaia. I mean, the, all you know, we can go down and down the line. <laughs> pro-abortion leaders who have said, yeah, our arguments work to justify infanticide as well. Of course, because there's no magical line. Or there's no fetus fairy that sprinkles magical personhood conferring fairy dust on the baby during birth. They're off, so obviously, any argument that works to kill the unborn works to kill the born as well. And mm-hmm. they'll say all of this, but your run-of-the-mill pro-choice person doesn't think that because they're what I think Lenin called useful idiots. Um, and so that's why that's why my approach is the kind of approach that it is. It's to make a public spectacle of pro-abortion ideas. Um, to make them a, a, a laughing stock, to make them mock worthy in the public square, because they are. And until we start to treat it like that, um, we'll wake up one day and realize, oh, <laughs> we've now been defined as unwanted, undesirable, mm-hmm. or to quote the Nazis, <laughs> Leben den Werten Leben, life unworthy of life. Mm. That's such a good point, Seth, and a, a good reminder for us uh, to pray for Seth Gruber and others who are out there on the front lines, because now when you refute the leftist ideologues and the, the pro-choicers, the pro-aborts, they have a lust for death, lust for abortion. When you refute them and can make them frustrated and defensive, they get so angry, they can get very violent. So seriously, mm-hmm. I mean that. You know, Pray for Seth and pray for others. That's a good segue to go over and talk about the breaking news about pro-life dad Mark Hauk, who you had on a recent unaborted podcast, and that was, I believe, the first interview since uh, he was arrested by 30 FBI uh, officials. And so let's talk about that, Seth. You had him on the podcast. For those who didn't know, he was arrested. He was just basically out in Philadelphia, on, I believe on the sidewalk outside of a Planned Parenthood, and he wasn't arrested there. The FBI, under the Biden administration and the politicized DOJ, the FBI raided his home and arrested him in front of his family. So... Take it from there, Seth. Just walk us through this and share the breaking news. He was acquitted, so that's good. But this is just very interesting now that uh, we are so divided in this country. We've got an administration against pro-lifers. Well, yeah. I mean, and and, uh, frankly, any Democrat administration has been against pro-lifers since, uh, I don't know, uh, before Obama, mm-hmm. um, it's, yeah. they're just they're just a little bit more um, evident and uh, honest about it. And so, uh, Mark Houck is the first uh, criminal prosecuted um, case of a pro-lifer who was not engaged in civil disobedience. Mm-hmm. Um, he was peacefully um, sidewalk counseling on a public sidewalk. He was not illegally entering the building. He was not blocking women from entering the, the death center. He was there in a pro-abortion, we call them death scort, but escort, um, that helps usher women into the doors of death mm-hmm. and murder their children. He, this 70-year-old something man named Bruce, is screaming obscenities into, into Mark's 12-year-old son's face, um, saying some of the most vile things, the most vile language. Mark says, step back. He doesn't. He says, yo, don't talk to my son. You don't have permission to talk to my son. The guy gets closer. He's now a physical threat presence. In his, terms of his proximity, yep. Mark asks him to step back again, says, go back to the other side, stop talking to my son. He continues to scream obscenities into his son's face, and Mark pushes him back. The guy falls on his butt, he springs back up, he's fine. 
He files a lawsuit. No one at the county level in Philadelphia wants to take it up. They see what absolute political theater it is. Mm -hmm. And then 10 days later, he gets a target letter from the federal government. Of course. Then it's radio silence for months. His lawyer from Thomas More Society is trying to reach out to the lawyer saying, if you're going to indict him, listen, you don't have a case, but we'll, we'll bring him in. He'll come in. You just let us know. Nothing. Radio silence. So then almost a year goes by, and on September 23rd, 2022, this last fall, he wakes up at 6.45 a.m. as he's putting a quiche in the oven to get his seven kids ready for homeschool co-op <laughs> to 30 FBI agents with armed rifles pointed at him, banging down his door. And within 15 minutes, he's in chains, handcuffs, while his children are screaming and crying, traumatized for life, while his wife's saying, where's your warrant? And they say, we're taking him with, a, with or without a warrant. That afternoon, they take him home, and he's back home. It's the Leviathan flexing its tentacles yep. and sending a post-Roe, a post-Roe v. Wade message to the pro-life movement as a warning. You better know your place and you better not move out of that place. Um, that it, it, It's a warning it's, and it's a shot over the bow to the pro-life movement and we need to treat it as such, which is why I quoted Dr. Mildred Jefferson, right? That people, if I'm summarizing, people who murder the unborn will one day murder you as well. The longer you tolerate the sacrament yes. of Satan and the dehumanization and murder of an entire class of human beings, the sooner you will wake up and find, oh, <laughs> I have now been defined <laughs> as unwanted, uh, as undesirable, as the greatest and most extreme threat to freedom and democracy. We're living through that now. Um, and Mark is a hero, um, but he was a target. He was sort of the first example um, of of this deep state, this Leviathan, this liberal establishment, which is built on the mutilated bodies of 65 million children murdered since 1973, reminding all pro-lifers, you better know your place. Mm -hmm. Merrick Garland, remember, was appointed by Obama to sit on the Supreme Court. Cocaine Mitch McConnell held up the appointment, one of his finest shining political uh, seasons, because I do not like Mitch McConnell. He's a total squish, cannot be relied upon for conservative principles. Squish! And, <laughs> and, and we get... We get Neil Gorsuch instead. So listen, guys, Roe v. Wade only gets overturned because of all three Trump-appointed Supreme Court justices. Yes. Only gets overturned. It was a 5-4 decision. Um, Dobbs versus Jackson was a 6-3 decision, but the decision as to whether to fully overturn Roe was a 5-4 decision. Um, and so Merrick Garland, had Merrick Garland gotten on the court, Roe v. Wade doesn't get overturned. So he's, this is Merrick Garland's revenge campaign against all those pro-lifers and conservatives that denied him a, a seat on the Supreme Court. He needs to be impeached and thrown in prison. Every FBI agent who arrested Mark in front of his children needs to be fired, mm. have their pensions removed, and be thrown in prison. But you see, we're no longer a nation of laws. That's we're right. a nation of political will. Um, and the other side has had far more political will and passion and zeal for their ideas and wielding the political tools in a constitutional republic that the Russell Moore, Ed Stetzer, Rick Warren, and Andy Stanley self-righteous, pious Christians tell us is an idol to engage in because you're just trying to get power rather than recognizing that to whom much is given, much is required. Jesus Christ, with great power comes great responsibility, Spider-Man's uncle, that you're actually going to be treated and judged more harshly when you had more power, mm. when you had more opportunity and ability wow. to demand the welfare of the city where you're in exile, to seek its righteousness, to protect your neighbor, to love your neighbor through just laws, to end the slaughter of children in the womb. But we were too self-righteous and pious, and we said, oh, Johnson Amendment, we're not really political, separation of church and state. And then the left gleefully filled in those institutions and yes. those seats with people who would propagate the religion of humanism. There will be a dominant religion in the public square. There will be, dare I say, a theocracy 
we're just living under the theocracy, theocracy of secular humanism, who castigates and throws their opponents <clears throat> into utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. They tried to throw Mark Houck into utter darkness. Thank God the jury um, acquitted him, but they were deadlocked for two days, and they had to go home for the weekend and come back. Jeez. That itself should give you a sign of the times of where we're at right now. That wow. if Mark Howe could almost be thrown in prison for up to 11 years and fined a quarter of a million dollars for protecting his son from a Planned Parenthood demonically inspired escort screaming obscenities and spitting in his 12-year-old son's face, then that should be a warning call to all of yep. us. That if you dare, if you dare leave your lane that you've been assigned by mm-hmm. the spirit of the age and his acolyte, mm-hmm. and you dare stand in the middle of the road of the culture of death with a big sign that says stop, because you recognize that you're going to have to answer your king one day as to what you did during the genocide of children in the womb, then they're going to come for you as well. The only thing that can turn this all around is an awakened church Amen. that cares more about righteousness and the plight of their neighbors than their own reputation their own uh, and and their own place at the table um, and getting crumbs from the table of secular progressivism, 501c3 status pastors, than standing for the cause of Christ in the public square. God bless you, brother. That You said so many just incredible points there. I, I hope people go back and rewind if you're listening to the podcast. Rewind this and please share this. Mayor? Yeah, what you said about power is absolutely hitting the nail on the head because what we're looking at right now, the undergirding thing here is who deserves to live, if you ask me. But then then you have media censorship. Well, that's power. Uh, Marxism is power. Food shortages are power. Population control. Power over a virus who never that never listened to a human ever in the history of viruses. Power mandates. with vaccine. Mandates. Right. It's all about the spirit of the age is about power uh, over people and people being totally in captivity and bondage. Read Jeremiah. I mean, we're, we're, we're going into bondage because of so many things. So I appreciate your comments here about, about power and cause that's, that's the world we're in right now. Hey, Seth, can I quote you and then let you elaborate? Let's transition now and talk about the church because as Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. And you said, quote, so many issues we are seeing in our country right now are from a lack of moral teaching from the pulpit, end quote. That's a powerful statement, which I agree with, and we're seeing some of the fruit. The left is going to act how they act. The demonically inspired will follow the father of lies. But how has the church responded? I think we've seen now the sad fruit of how the church has not responded. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, uh, to quote my friend, uh, Bill Federer, the amazing historian. Yes. Um, every king has a counselor, right? So who's the king in America? Well, uh, we the people are the king, right? This is not a monarchy. This is a constitution or republic. So we the people are the king. So who's the count? If every king has a counselor and we the people are the king in America, who's the counselor to the king, we the people in America? Uh, the pulpit. <laughs> the pulpits were supposed to be the counselor to the mm, king, right? Wow. They were supposed to be reminding the people of their duty, their responsibility, their stewardship as the most powerful political individual and entity in human history. Are you kidding me? We have taken this republic for granted for so long. We have, to quote one of the founders, lost the brilliance mm. of our own independence. Most Christians in churches today, David, could not even tell you or define what self-government means. They could not explain to you how the idea of self-government uh, fleshes itself out in the public square. 
uh, because the pulpits have stopped counseling the king. The pulpits have stopped bringing spiritual and moral clarity to the issues of the day. And so we wonder why the king in America is so drunk behind the wheel, driving his car over the bodies of millions of children and families. Uh, It's because rather than screaming out to that drunk driver to get out and to, and to come listen, we stood by and we watched that, that drunk madman drive his car over the bodies of transgender children, aborted babies in the womb, the family, the children of divorced families, the families mourning the loss of loved ones who died as a result of the, of the jab mandates, the family members of the teenagers in California who at one point we had a higher suicide rate for minors in California than had died mm. from COVID. Mm. Uh, we, we, we didn't want to yell at that drunk man to get out of the car and come talk to us and let us, let, let us, let us counsel him. Come let us reason together. No, 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 no. No, we, we'd rather just scream the gospel at him as he drives that car, wraps himself around a trunk, kills himself and others because we were under the spell of the Johnson Amendment. And we didn't want to be perceived as being associated with topics that were labeled political right. by the other side. Mm-hmm. So we're like Lot. And when the moment came and we were needed the most to stand for children, to stand for our families, to stand against the culture of death in San Francisco. I'm sorry, Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm sorry, I always get those mixed up. Instead of standing, we gave our own posterity <laughs> over to the sexualized demonic mob so we could remain relevant, keep our place at the table, and we said, here are my children, here are my daughters, have sex with them instead. That is what the American church has been doing in the culture war for many decades now. We may not have literally done that, but the, 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 the working out of our abdication and apathy and silence is the same thing. We are giving over the posterity to a culture of death, to the sexually uh, addicted and demonically inspired mob that seems to rule us now in America, all because... We wanted to remain comfortable. We, we, we enjoyed our comfortable Christian Christianity and our rights that others die to secure for us, rather than recognizing that our grandchildren are you know, you're going to be raised in gulags soon if, if something doesn't turn around. Mm. So, yes, most of the issues we're facing today are from a lack of moral teaching from the pulpit. In other words, the full counsel of God. Amen. You know how many friends come up to me, guys, after I preach a message at churches for this tour I've been doing last fall and this spring? You know, the number one response I've gotten on my National White Rose Resistance Tour? What? Seth, I've never heard any of that before. Oh, my goodness. And we're talking about good churches, David, with, 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 with pastors that are faithful Bible teachers and that are not woke. So I'm not preaching at, like, you know, Stephen Furtick or Andy Stanley's church. I'm speaking <laughs> at, at, at faithful, wonderful churches with men I really, I really respect and revere. Mm. And those, those churches and their congregations are coming up to me and saying, I've never heard any of this before. Wow. It's Hosea 4, 6 all over again. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We do not understand the ideology of the enemy in America, nor the, nor the people that the enemy of our souls has raised up to advance his ideology. Hmm. So we've been doing what my pastor Rob McCoy says. We wait downstream to pick up human heartache that we helped create through our political apathy upstream. And so yes. if we want revival in America, if we want an awakened bride of Christ, it has to start from the pulpits, it has to start from the pastors, it has to start from the shepherds who understand that sometimes a shepherd has to pick up his staff and start whacking wolves on the head and poking them in the eye to protect the sheep, to raise up the young sheep, to raise up the next generation, to be ambassadors for Christ, to be salt and light, so they don't lose their saltiness, to preserve something, to stand for what our Father cares about. 
and most of the church in America doesn't even understand where these ideas come from, no. who was behind them, where they originated, and how they've been planting their way into the soil of the republic for for decades or centuries. And then we wake up and we go, how did we get drag queen story hour in libraries? Why is there porn being taught in the sex ed yep. of my kids' elementary and junior high school? And we think that these things happen suddenly. Yep. We think that they're like this suddenly. No, this has been happening for decades. You were just asleep, church, and then suddenly the enemy overplayed its hand with COVID shutdowns and critical race theory <laughs> and sex ed. And then you went, oh, my gosh. But guess what? That was a long time coming. Yep. Things happen gradually, then suddenly, just like bankruptcy. And if you don't go upstream, from whence these ideas come, and when they're planted in the polity and in the, in the soil of the republic, then you're not going to be able to win that battle downstream. And then you're just going to scream the gospel to drunken kings behind cars downstream, driving their cars into lakes and rivers and oceans, killing the hundreds at the same time, because you, you, you were too pious and self-righteous. You read too many Russell Moore books. You wouldn't go upstream abandon this obsession with not being labeled political and recognize what Bonhoeffer once said. Political action means taking on responsibility. Mm. This cannot happen wow. without power because power is to serve responsibility. Seth Gruber, I, I, I hardly ever do this, but I, I need to put you on the spot. Are, do you have, can you squeeze in another 10 or 15 minutes with us or do you have to run? No, I can do that. Oh, praise God. Let's do that. Because we've got to take a break. We haven't even got a chance to ask you about the White Rose resistance and just some other things. We we just want to talk about what's going on culturally. So I'm so glad that you can hold over for us. We've got to take our first break today on Stand Up For The Truth. You can check out the podcast, Unaborted, and you can go to Seth's website. By the way, Seth, is there a problem with your website? We are currently moving our brand new website over to the the dot com URL. So okay, it should okay. be up in a matter of hours or a day. Okay, praise God. Because I was going, okay, did they get to him? Because we couldn't access it in a couple of days. All right, Seth Grew is going to be back with us, and then we are going to get to that story a little later on about the um, food processing plants. Mysteriously, what is it a coincidence? Uh, third biggest egg farm catches fire, and we'll talk a little bit more about the worldwide phenomenon of sudden deaths. Coming up on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Seth Gruber is our guest today, and you will be able to get his links in our podcast blog at StandUpForTheTruth.com. He is one of our many guests that we have in a separate post there and, and blog where you can click on all the past podcasts with Seth. He, his podcast is Unaborted. Before we talk about the White Rose resistance, Seth, you, you were talking off air about something. I've called it the political ping pong game, um, meaning that it depends on who's elected, uh, what pro-life you know, legislation gets pushed forward, and then what uh, pro-death legislation comes in and cuts that off. Um, this has been the game, and I hate to call it a game, uh, since 1973, and I know there's a movement that wants to abolish abortion, which I agree with, but you, it, I can't imagine it happening soon because of, first of all, the, the culture and what's been happening, the, the great promotion and marketing of evil that the left has done in the pro-death Democrats. But talk to us a little bit about this battle and help us to understand why people would disagree on methods here. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I'll just say this, David. Sure. Um, I have no problem with defining the courts in principle. 
Um, Lincoln uh, did that as, as president. Um, you, you just, it's, it's as always, politics is the art of the possible, to quote um, Aristotle. Um, and it's how we debate ideas. It's how we determine how we want to live together. Um, but uh, when you're talking about the sacrament of Satan, um, right? Yes. Uh, Satan's yes. pride and joy, the killing of babies, child sacrifice. Um, it, you, you always have to sort of balance and weigh what's going to be the most effective um, to protect the preborn. And so many pro-lifers will come down on the side of incrementalism, saying if we can't just all defy the courts and, and give the middle finger and the bird to Biden and say, uh, assuming you have a governor in a state that would even sign a, an abortion ban that would ban it um, before Roe v. Wade happened, um, then you may have federal agents coming in and arresting the governor of a state and his entire administration. Um, for, uh, you could have you could have civil war. You could have um, Americans killing one another. Um, and so you you know you have to ask yourself the question: Is that worth it? Um, when we've now just lost all the very people we needed to get into positions of power to protect the preborn. So it's a, it's a longer debate for another time. I'm, yes. I'm happy to have, and there's been some great debates that have happened over it. But at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We want abortion banned at the federal level with a constitutional recognition of the preborn's personhood from the moment of conception. Yes. Thank you for that. I mean, that, you, you did that a lot. I mean, clarified that a lot quicker than I expected. Thank you. So tell us about the White Rose resistance. Yeah, so I mean, I've been a pro-life speaker for over a decade, David. I gave my first speech probably at 18 or 19 um, as a senior in high school on the topic of abortion. And then I started the first pro-life club at Westmont College and started speaking um, at little uh, venues here and there at 19 years old. I'm 31 now, and I feel like those 10 years have just kind of been or 11 years have just kind of led me up to this point where I just realized I could have a far greater impact um, as a CEO and founder of my own organization. It's not something, it's not something I ever thought I wanted to do or really, like, you know, I don't, I don't feel the need to, I need my own organization. I need my own branding. I need to be recognized <laughs> for my, I, I never really had a, a burning desire to, to build something and be the CEO. But I just realized I could have a far greater impact by doing that. And so providentially, while I was working on the organization, um, from the very end of 2021 um, and the first portion of 2022, we ended up launching the organization publicly right after the overturning of Roe v. Wade um, in June. And so I think that was just providential. And I have been a student of history for, you know, some time. I'm still fairly young and, and there is, uh, I know far there's far more that I don't know than I do know, and which is why I love reading people like Bill Federer and, and other conservative Christians who are historians. Uh, uh, and you know, um, you, you the Founder's Bible with David Barton that everyone should get as well. Just phenomenal men um, to read and learn from. But but one of the least known and most inspirational stories that I've ever come across in my studies has been the story of the White Rose Resistance hmm. in Nazi Germany. Um, everyone knows the name of Schindler and Bonhoeffer, but um, very few people know the, the, the names Hans and Sophie Scholl of the White Rose Resistance. And I've been aware of it actually for, for some years now, but only in the last year and a half did I actually start really diving into the history and the story and the way it naturally aligns with this issue, David, and the problem, where the problem lays and the solution and the way out to navigate a way out of these uh, treacherous tides that we seem to be in culturally and politically, uh, the way that they line up is, is, uh, is uh, well, I don't think it's a coincidence. <laughs> I, I think we need to learn the lessons of our past and the saints who have come before us. And so 
in, in shortly, in 1942, a young woman named Sophie Scholl, 21 years old, dreams of becoming a school teacher, uh, deep Christian faith. Her father spent some time in prison for speaking out against Hitler, actually, so she came from good stock. <laughs> and she comes across a paper uh, on the sidewalk in Munich, and she picks it up, and it says, Leaflets of the White Rose. And she starts reading it, and her heart is third to action. I mean, it's explicitly condemning the crimes of the Nazis. It's saying things like, we are the White Rose resistance, we are your bad conscience, and we will not leave you alone. They said things like, if you know, why do you not act? <laughs> um, but pretty powerful recognition of the fact that evil people do evil things, get used to it, stop blaming evil people for, for what is happening around you. Um, the blame lays on you, who knew better and did nothing. And so she demands to join the White Rose Resistance um, and come to find out the White Rose Resistance had not only been um, co-founded, but was being run by none other than her older brother, Hans. Uh, and so you can think what Sophie's thinking. What the heck, bro? This is amazing. <laughs> so to make a long story longer, um, her, her brother, 24 years old, was just trying to protect her little sister. He recognized how dangerous his anti-Nazi resistance activities were in 1942. My goodness. I mean, Jews have been wearing the yellow star for three or four years now. They're already being burned and murdered in concentration camps. And their, the ashes of their bodies are falling on the steeples of local churches. These pastors mm. um, will only speak as much truth as the spirit of the age allows them. And so she joins the White Rose Resistance for the rest of 1942. They stay up all night writing, printing, and distributing anti-Nazi leaflets all around the country of Germany. And then on February 18th, 1943, she takes it, they take things to the next level. Hans and Sophie walk into the campus of the University of Munich during class time when the halls are quiet. And they begin to drop off piles of their illegal leaflets. Now, remember, David, the academia, the academic institutions like the clergy had largely been co-opted into obedience or silence by yep. the Nazi state. So this is a very dangerous thing to do. It's like going to UC Berkeley today and saying there's only two genders, but far more <laughs> dangerous than that. And so um, as they're as, in this iconic scene, Sophie walks to the third floor balcony of the University of Munich, and she throws an entire stack of leaflets down to the atrium below. Um beautiful scene. Uh, the janitor catches Hans and Sophie in the act, um, calls the Gestapo and has them arrested on February 18th, 1943. Um, they spend the next four days in prison. They're brutally abused, interrogated. They refuse to implicate any of their other friends or members of the White Roads resistance. Because they were arrested on February 18th, 1943, they missed a meeting that they had scheduled, David, that afternoon in Munich with a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Oh, my goodness. Who had come to meet with Hans and Sophie and these young Christian resistance fighters, the founder of the Confessing Church, later murdered by the Nazis for his, his uh, attempt, his failed attempt in the Valkyrie plot to take the life of Hitler. Um, that's how inspirational these young people were. You had Bonhoeffer going, I need to meet these young people. Well, David, they never made that meeting. Four days later, on February 22nd, 1943, they're taken to the guillotine, um, and their their bravery and courage so disturbed their own prison captors that their prison captors relaxed the rules to great danger to their own career and life and let Hans and Sophie meet with their parents in a side room minutes before being escorted to the guillotine. Mm. And Sophie's mother looked at her doomed daughter and said, remember Jesus, Sophie. And Sophie replied, yes but you too, Mama. Sophie's cellmate would later write letters to Hans and Sophie's parents, explaining to them her daughter's final days. And she told her parents, your daughter was not so concerned with her impending death. 
She was disturbed in soul as to how her mother could handle losing two children on the same day. Mm. The prison guard said, Sophie went without the flicker of an eyelash. None of us understood how that was possible. The executioner said he had never seen someone meet his end as she did. And Sophie's final words before the blade fell, according to the executioner, was the sun still shines. And Hans's final words were simply freedom, freedom. So, David, while rose blossoms may perish in the fall, they reappear in the spring. Amen. And so while all of the members of the White Rose Resistance were found and executed, their sacrifice has planted the seeds of resistance in the hearts of millions whose actions will keep alive the legacy of the White Rose. And your sacrifice, Christian, will water those seeds of resistance. So one day thousands will be awakened and stirred to action. The White Rose will blossom again, and we can say the sun still shines. So I am rebuilding the White Rose resistance for this generation against our silent but far more deadly holocaust of abortion to build the army of Christian resistance yes. against the culture of death that Hans and Sophie dreamed of, that, mm-hmm. knew, that, that knew could be realized, but that they never saw happen mm-hmm. to end our holocaust of abortion today. This is a late hour of the American culture war. They're coming for anyone because they believe that they shall be as gods. To quote Schaefer, Humanism is placing man at the center of all things and making him the measure of all things. In other words, I get to be as a god. And we're experiencing more of that in the culture wars. We begin to recognize, wake up, and realize, David, that this culture war, it was actually just a proxy war for a deeper spiritual war. And we're contending against the spirit of the age and his obsession with wiping out the image of God from the earth. The Imago Dei is Satan's trigger. It makes Satan cry and scream and demand safe spaces, because the Imago (laughs) Dei is a reminder that there is a God ruling and reigning, and and he is going to come and judge that serpent and throw him into that pit one day. And we're a reminder of that King of Kings and Lord of Lords who entered human history in a uterus (laughs) to redeem mankind from their sins. Jesus Christ is the greatest former fetus to have ever existed, (laughs) who identified with us at our most vulnerable stage, the prenatal stage. Um, so if that doesn't tell you what God thinks about life in the womb, you woke Christian, uh, if you even listen to the show, I don't know what will. Mm. Um, your Savior becomes a fetus um, to redeem you from your sins and lets himself be murdered. It's time for us to wake up, get onto the field of battle, stop waiting for others to fight the battle for life and liberty for us, and start recognizing what Ronald Reagan famously said, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. What an amazing testimony wow. of that brother and sister. Powerful Thank you for sharing brother. that because uh, their testimony lives on. I'm, I'm thinking it's 70 years almost. I mean, we're ending yeah. feb- February here. 80 That's, years next month. Is 80, it 80? 80. Okay. Wow. Okay. So 80 years next month. Praise and God. I'm thinking in practical terms. Okay. So, um, you know, you, you know so much about the philosophies and the history and the context of all of these issues. If we can be practical for a minute and, and what resources would you suggest for a, a pastor, young or old, who wants to maybe understand a little more context, a little more history here so that they can uh, connect some dots. I mean, there's the Sangers and the Huxleys and the Karl yeah. Marxes and all that. Where do you start? Because uh, is there some, is there, huh, this is probably an impossible answer here, but what would you suggest for some resources for people who want to know, uh, who want to just be able to be um, equipped to understand these things better? In addition to SethGruber.com. 
Yeah, well, listen to uh, listen to this show, listen to David's show, and uh, he has great guests on and talks about a lot of the issues. But uh, but Bill Federer is one of the is one of the foremost historians in America. He's an absolute gem to the church, an absolute gift to help us understand all these ideas mm. and how we got here. Dr. George Grant, um, who is a worldwide expert on the life of Margaret Sanger, yes. wrote one of the best selling books of all time. I, I sat down with him for an hour and forty minute episode of my podcast. He wrote a book mm. called Grand Illusions, The Legacy of Planned Parenthood. And then he wrote a condensed version just on the life of Sanger called Killer Angel, yes. um, which is a, a biography on the life of Margaret Sanger. Uh, G.K. Chesterton would be a great place to start. He wrote a book called Eugenics and Other Evils. He's one of the foremost recognized voices as really one of the only voices during the early 1900s who was publicly decrying the, the worldview and aims and ideology of eugenics um, while the church was largely silent. Um, in fact, in 1920, one year before Sanger launches the American Birth Control League, which was later renamed Planned Parenthood, yep. just to show you how prescient G.K. Chesterton was, one year before she launches the organization that will bear the name Planned Parenthood, Chesterton writes in a, in a London newspaper uh, in England, he writes, we are not so very far off from even the sacrifice of babies, if not to a crocodile, at least to a creed, end quote. Um and he wow. was writing about eugenics, saying, while Planned Parenthood would not support or begin performing abortions until sometime in the late 60s, Chesterton was saying even then, he was saying, oh, no, oh, no, 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 this will end in child sacrifice. Um, because Chesterton was a son of Issachar. He understood the times and he understood um, the, the train of ideas and where they go. Um, he would be another one to read. The, the, the list goes on and on and on, of course. Um, but, yeah, until we start loving the Lord our God with all of our mind as well, um, then we will be fulfilling Hosea 4, 6 in the American church, and we will be destroyed um, for our lack of knowledge and our ignorance on, on, on the culture war, yes. which was always just a proxy war for the spiritual war. Mm-hmm. Amen, brother. Mm-hmm. Amen. We've got to break away from the United States of entertainment when I, when I think about <laughs> people being destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Uh, we are too busy, distracted, amused, right? But Seth, how can people get your newsletter and get more information? I know they can, you know, go to your website, which will be up and running a little later on. Yeah, and our organization's website is thewhiterose.life, www.thewhiterose.life. You can follow the White Rose Resistance on Facebook or Instagram. Um, I'm on all the major social media platforms as well. We're doing a national tour right now of 15 churches between January and the end of May for our spring White Rose Resistance National Life Tour. I'm launching a university tour in February or March called um, Adolf Who? Um, Margaret Sanger's Body Count. Uh, we're going to blow that up on massive banners and put that on the university campuses that are having me to uh, to bring out the Moloch Serviles and Bay All Worshippers to come hear me and, and have fun with that. Um, we're doing a lot of things. We're growing quickly. We're doubling the size of our organization, or tripling it, rather, um, in the next uh, three or four months. Um, if you become a $35 a month donor um, to the White Rose Resistance, you get access to our White Rose Resistance digital live circle once a month via Zoom. Uh, we had over 100 people on our first uh, launch uh, in January. And uh, you get direct training from me to become a pro-life ninja um, <laughs> and begin tearing down the high places of child sacrifice to be a voice for the unborn. And we pour into our donors that way uh, and get them equipped and raised up at the local level to engage the spirit of the age. Brother, I love just the way you masterfully piece words together and use them as provocative 
but insightful weapon. So mm-hmm. I, we got to have you back um, much sooner than last time. But, hey, God bless you. Continue to uh, settle into your new uh, digs there in uh, Kansas. But thank you so much for your time, brother. God bless your ministry. You too, David. Thank you thank for you. the opportunity. All right, thanks, Seth. All right, again, friends, that new website, uh, thewhiterose.life. So I want to trans... Well, you know, there's two other things. A couple of his podcasts. I love the January 23rd one. Want to kill your baby? CVS and Walgreens is here to help. And then the other one that's very important that we've been talking about this uh, this theme for years, when the church stands up, Satan sits down. Uh, he did a podcast. So that's Seth Gruber's Unaborted Podcast. Now, we only have time, and I don't, I have no apologies. I, I This was so important. Um, we are going to skip the article on the human microchip implants. We've talked a little bit about that in the past. Also, the worldwide phenomenon, the, the sudden deaths, the level of denial and deception. Our friend Jonathan Brentner put a, a new article up. It's over at Harbinger's Daily. Go read it yourself. We don't have to talk about it. But I want to talk about the coincidence of food processing plants being burned in different places in the country. And over at the Blaze, the third biggest egg farm in the United States caught fire. 21 fire departments responded, and it was a massive fire that was Saturday. It killed thousands of chickens. It's expected to exacerbate the current dilemma of skyrocketing egg prices. My question is, are there dots to connect here, Mayor? Could this be on purpose? It absolutely could be on purpose. I remember last uh, July I was looking into the um, food processing plants, and someone had documented 110 of them at that point. At and now, that point. At that point. Wow. And now I guess we're over 200. Um, there's a great article by Todd Strandberg at Rapture Ready. The supply chain is broken. And he says, the United States has had a strange run of bad luck when it comes to dozens of food processing plants suspiciously catching fire over the past few years. Um and, of course, it brings production to a halt, right? Uh, remarkably, no one was present at the time of most of the fires. The EcoHealth Alliance whistleblower, a bioterrorism expert, military veteran, and scientist, Dr. Andrew Huff, has a possible explanation. Mm. He uh, has access to government information about simulating a food supply attack. The information comes from the U.S. Get this, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Food and Drug Agriculture Sector Criticality Assessment Tool, or FASCAT. Okay, uh, and this includes which places are particularly at risk. But he says, authorities have, um, according to Huff, who authorities have harassed due to the nature of his work since 2019, the U.S. government coordinated the attacks on the food facilities. In addition, something remarkable happened. The hard disk with the FASCAT data disappeared. Since then, there have been about 200 food factory attacks around the world, most Hmm. in the U.S., um, then there was the baby formula shortage, right? Yes. We, we didn't have any explanations about that. We still don't. The can, there's a canned cat food shortage. I mean, it's just a <laughs> random, random, bizarre, uh, kind of thing. But he comes down to this here. Is he it says, random though? Is it random? Um, he says we don't even have proper management of items that would be essential for daily life. Fillers for drugs are made in other nations. Transistors that go into cars, computers, smartphones are made in Asia. So this is because we're a global society now. This is this is not just going to be um, affecting the U.S. But here he says, interestingly, uh, he's got a spiritual take here. He says, I think the reason why our food supply chains are bre- our supply chains are breaking down is because of the moral decline of America. We have turned our back on God, and He has lifted His hand of protection from our nation. 
Uh, since most supply chains will suffer a complete meltdown during the tribulation, the current problems may be an indication of what is headed our way and how late the hour is. I mean, yeah. loaf of bread for a day's wages in Revelation, we're talking some very serious inflation. Yep. And let's talk about a couple of these things. In December, egg prices skyrocketed, skyrocketed 60% more than a year before. Mm-hmm. 60% more, according to Consumer Price Index. In California... Seth's former home state, uh, the average retail price of eggs went from two thirty five to seven dollars and thirty seven cents this year, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. A couple more things: Hillsdale Farms, which was on fire um, Saturday, raised over twenty million chickens, or raises over twenty million chickens for eggs, and is one of the top five egg producers in the country. You don't hear these smaller mom and pop shops or farms i mean some of them yeah there are fires we don't hear about that mm-hmm. these are massive uh december of last year a fire caused 12 million in damages and killed a reported 250,000 chickens in pennsylvania that's a large poultry farm there in lebanon october 2022 approximately 7,000 chickens were incinerated in a farm fire in Lexington, South Carolina. These are massive uh, farms. In February, Michael Foods, or I'm sorry, yeah, Michael Foods farm killed approximately 400,000 chickens. And the year before, uh, December 2020, around 240,000 chickens died when a fire burned three barns in Pasco County, mm-hmm. Florida. That's Eggland's that, Best. That, yeah. Eggland's so. Best and Land O'Lakes. Mm-hmm. So, this guys again, we're we're hearing. Uh, sh- are there dots to be connected? We're hearing a lot of similar things, kind of like that story. I can't wait to get into the Jonathan Brentner story uh, about this the the sudden deaths of people, young athletes. Uh, you know, all of a sudden died suddenly. Th- there's some dots here. Uh, there, we're hearing more and more and more of this happening, more of them in number, but also more frequently. So we've got an acceleration of events. So that's the same thing if you were to draw a parallel to these food processing plants. Now we're talking about eggs, chickens and eggs. So I don't know where this is going. I'm not a prophet, but you can see um, with the supply chain issues that are already an issue, um, you can see where this might be going. We're headed towards famine, and the whole world is headed towards famine. Yep. And, yeah, and we won't be hit as hard in America, and that's not to say people won't be hurting and we won't feel it in our pocketbooks, but feel bad for those countries that are already struggling with poverty and um, there are already human rights violations and there's already hunger and starvation in many uh, country. So, that, guys, uh, this, this is a reminder to go down to our knees and pray. Surrender this time. But at, at the same time, we've got to understand what's happening, be discerning, and connect the dots, as we like to say. Mary, um, well, that was your first podcast with Seth Gruber. What'd you think? <laughs> wow. Well, you know, uh, tell us what you really think, Seth. I mean, you know, I, I so appreciate his wealth of knowledge oh boy. and his wisdom. And He's his wisdom. an amazing resource. Yep. Uh, so anyway, um, guys, we've got uh, a replay tomorrow with Jonathan Brentner, a different topic. But also we've got a brand new podcast Thursday. J.B. Hickson back with us. And Mike Gendron of Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries. 
He's always got a lot of good things to say, too, in, in a soft, compassionate way. But he offends a lot of people by saying it. Not how he says it, but just the fact that he speaks the truth. Thank you guys so much for listening and for praying for this podcast and for our, our health and the warfare that goes on here behind the scenes. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.